Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. I hope you had a great Christmas. It's great to see each of you here today. Um, uh, I see uh, some that we get to see around this time of year, and it's always fun to have you all back. Um, Oftentimes what we do is we take a break in our current series of uh, what what book or passage of scripture we're going through, and that is the Sermon on the Mount, which we will resume next week, Uh, but then the Sunday after Christmas, we usually do a, a kind of a refocus kind of message. And I was thinking about uh, a little cartoon I saw of an Easter service where there was a man in the community that would come to church every Easter. And uh, as he was walking out to the, the service, he shook hands with the pastor and he whispers to his wife, someone should tell him he's kind of stuck in a rut. He's always preaching on the same thing on Easter. <laughs> so some of you might feel like I'm stuck in a rut, always preaching on the same thing when you, when you come back to visit. Uh, but we are kind of looking at uh, our church and where we're headed And it's a time to uh, recommit and refocus on those things that are important to us. And as we begin, I would like to tell the story of a a tragedy that happened at sea in 1914. And it happened just 20 months after the sinking of the Titanic. And because of this, there was grave concern so... Congress convened a hearing to determine what happened in this another crash at sea that cost lives. In January of that year, a thick fog off the Virginia coast, there was a thick fog off the Virginia coast and a steamship Monroe was rammed by a merchant ship, the Nantucket, and eventually the Monroe sank. Forty-one sailors lost their lives in the frigid waters of the Atlantic. And while it was Osmayan Berry, the captain of the Nantucket, who was arraigned on charges, in the course of the trial, Captain Edward Johnson of the Monroe was grilled on the stand for five hours. And during cross-examination, it was learned according to the New York Times, that Captain Johnson navigated the Monroe with a steering compass that deviated as much as two degrees from the standard magnetic compass. He said the instrument was sufficient to run a ship and that it was a custom of masters in the coastwise trade to use this kind of compass. His steering compass had never been adjusted in the one year that he was the master of the Monroe, the faulty compass that seemed adequate for navigation eventually proved fatal. The realization of this information was captured by a picture of the New York Times. The two captains coming together after the trial, clasping hands and sobbing on each other's shoulders. The sobs of these two big, burly seamen 
is a reminder of the tragic consequences of misorientation and even a small deviation in one's compass. Given that this is the beginning of a new year and we call ourselves Compass Church, it is appropriate that we make some reorientation, some direction, redirection, recalibration of who we are as Compass Church. We have been talking about our focus and the direction of our church amongst the elders, and we've had a class that the elders have led over the last few months, and there are some definite plans in the works that we will begin to unfold in the next month or two. But on the other hand, as new plans are developed, we must know that the priorities that are given to the church that must drive the church are those priorities that arise from Scripture, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and that those priorities should not change. The approach to these priorities and the specific steps to achieve those goals can change. We can take different steps, different approaches. But the call of Christ on the church is a call that will stand the test of time. It is a call that we must line ourselves up to. And we are to be a community of people who loves God with all that we are. We are to be a community of people who enter into relationship with one another, where we're committed to one another, where we care for one another, where the love of God is revealed. And finally, we are to be a community of people who loves people, people all around us, all around us who need to hear of the good news of Jesus Christ. Staying sharp as a church with a clear focus and vision and mission as we enter 2020 is a priority. One of the lessons that I have learned in the process of refocusing even in my own life is to think about what I really want. Now that sounds funny. It's not something that we normally think of. We think that tends towards selfishness. But it is at the heart of the good news of the gospel, what God has done in us. God has not called us to add to our lives and to live in things that are foreign, that are strange, that are rules and obligations and expectations that don't bring life to us. But God does call us to recognize how he has created life, who he has made us to be under his direction and his priorities and his goals. And he, has, he knows where life is found. And it is an, a wonderful, amazing thing to realize that you can want what is best for you. You can want what God wants for you. And you can pour your life into that want because God is the direction of that want. So I found this a fascinating idea for me in a book by James K.A. Smith called You Are What You Love. What, re what you really want. The spiritual power of habit. Uh, 
I found myself in full agreement with what he was talking about, and I also recognized in myself a a shortcoming in my understanding of spiritual discipleship. Too many times I think of following Christ as the things I'm obligated to do rather than the things that I can find the full weight of joy in. And that is a significant change. Seems like maybe a small change, but it is a big change. I found myself realizing that I should long for and hunger after the things that are real, the things that are true, the the offer of life that God gives as the fullness of life that I can experience in my pursuit of Him. My lack and my failure oftentimes comes from lesser loves directing my life towards other objectives when the fullest objective, the most joyful, the most fulfilling objective is a wholehearted pursuit of who God is, to walk in His ways, to know Him, to be with Him. In essence, it's what Jesus often said. Jesus, when he was being followed by two disciples in John chapter 1, verse 38, he turned to them and said, what do you want? He asked them that question and then took them to where he was staying and they stayed with him and followed Jesus. It's the question that is buried underneath Every question that Jesus asks of us, will you come follow me? Which is a version of what do you want? In the same vein, it's the fundamental question Jesus asked Peter after his denial. Peter, do you love me? You see, the heart is the place where we are most radically shaped and transformed and made to experience life. And understanding that our longings and our desires can be focused Godward. James Smith says, Jesus doesn't encounter Matthew and John, nor does he encounter you and me. Asking, what do you know? He doesn't even ask, what do you believe? He asks, what do you want? Our wants, our longings, our desires are at the core of our identity. It is the the wellspring from which our actions and our behaviors flow. Discipleship is more about hungering and thirsting than it is about knowing and believing. Now, certainly, the content of what we know and believe is important, but that has never been the end in itself. The content, the understanding of who God is, the the truth of Scriptures, are to lead us to a heart full of hungering and thirsting after God. This puts our priorities, our loves, our wants, our longings in the right place. And when we're not longing for God and when we're not passionate about knowing God, 
All of our understandings, our theologies, our truths, our, our practices of religious behavior lose their power. So as we're thinking about Compass and Compass Church, we're thinking about recalibrating. One of the things we must do is to ask ourselves, what does our heart really want? Do we believe that life is found in knowing God? Or are we just meeting our obligations and doing the things that are expected of us? And I would say to anyone here who who understands and realizes where their heart is at, even if your heart is, I want to know God, and yet I get diverted, I get changed, I get distracted. Hey, I'm in that same boat with you. But we as a church, as we think about the new year, we think about Compass Church, where we're headed, what we're doing, why we do what we do, week in and week out. It is not to know more things. It's not to understand more things. It's not to be able to make a pristine defense. It is in order to pursue a love and a want for God. And that's where we need to be this year, throughout the year, every year. It is not an easy road. I realize in my own life how many automatic things I do that I have not transformed and changed as a believer. There are practices that I just naturally do that are counter to the gospel. This is not just an easy believism. It is a call to a road of discipleship where I transform, where I lay down all of my practices and submit them to the one I love. That is a profound call. That is a charge that will change our lives, our attitudes, our hearts. Simply knowing things about God will not change us to be like Christ. Only fully loving Him and wanting His will will bring that change. So as we think about our church and what we do, uh, you know, this is in line also with Jonathan Edwards' The Religious Affections. And I'd highly encourage reading that because the, the, the heart of the matter is where is your heart? And as we as a church have sought to chart a course and give help and direction to us as people how to live out that kind of life. We've identified targets, three targets that we believe in and we want to see come to fruition in our fellowship. These three targets, though, are not targets that are external to us, just obligations and things that we should do. I believe these three targets will only be met when it's driven by our wanting of God. So the first target we must strive for is surrender. I'd like to read Matthew 22, very familiar passage of Scripture, one that is foundational to the teaching ministry of Jesus as he makes comment about the law. Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. 
hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is not just a reverence for God and not just being humble before God, not just acknowledging God's greatness. This is a love for God, which issues in surrender to Him. Target number one, we are to surrender ourselves to God. A relationship with God, a relationship based on love and grace and obedience, uh, recognizing that our life was made for our relationship with God. Pascal said that there is a God-shaped vacuum within every individual. We sense he exists. But we need to know him more than just a creator. We need to know him intimately, what he is like what he can what we can do to please him how we can walk with him when we began to realize who god is we discover that we desire to be like him more and more to make his character our character we should get to know god and to love god better when speaking about what we want, which is the language of our heart, our longings, we are reminded of St. Augustine's statement about God and who we are. You have made us, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. Think about that for a moment. What stirs your heart? What are you seeking most? Augustine gives us a great analogy when he says that love is like gravity. And I pulled this quote. It's a little lengthy, so I hope uh, it makes sense to you. Love is like gravity. He puts it this way. A body by its weight moves towards its proper place. The weight's movement is not necessarily downward, but it is to its appropriate position. Fire tends to move upward as it burns. A stone tends to fall downward. They are acted on by their respective weights. They seek their own place. Oil poured under water is drawn up to the surface. Water poured on top of oil sinks below the oil. They are acted on by their respective densities. They seek their own place. Things which are not in their intended positions are restless. When they are in their ordered position, they are at rest. We know, we all know this principle that Augustine's talking about. Uh, Smith uses an illustration that I relate to very well. He says, have you ever been in a swimming pool, seen a beach ball, and want to hold it under the water? I just naturally tend to want to do that. I love being in the pool, standing on the beach ball, or standing on as many noodles as I can get under my feet. 
And what's fun about it is there's this constant pressure, this, this restlessness that you have to hang on to it and stay on top of it. Otherwise, it bursts to the top. And as we think about that picture, Augustine is saying that the weight we have is our love. That's what God has given us. And wherever we're carried to, we're carried there by our love. And oh, that we would be a people in church that would be like the ball under the water with energy so that we could get to the place that we're with God, we're knowing God, we're resting in Him. Augustine says we will not find rest till we find our rest in Him. That must drive us. We are what we love and God is light and God is love and we need His light and His love. And as we see that, as we understand that, we will want Him. We will long for Him. We will pursue him with our whole heart. And some of the reasons this is true is because God is light. He offers us direction. He offers us light. We should get to know him better because the result will be a change of our character that makes us like him. When we see him, we will be drawn to him. We will be made like him. Light guides us. Uh, I told you once before about an experience of going into the lava caves that we encountered in Seattle. And uh, it was on Mount St. Helens on the opposite side. And uh, we got lost and didn't make it to the, uh, the display place. So we were in the, the wrong side of the mountain. But surprise, surprise, we ran into these lava tunnels. And these lava tunnels were miles long. It was unbelievable. And you crawled down in it, and the tunnel was as high as, it was as big as this sanctuary. And it ran for miles down the, the mountain. The lava just melted it and made a river. And you could go down in there, and you could hike in there. And would be like being in here, though it wouldn't be dark enough. You turn off all the lights. We had only our little cell phones with only our little light because we weren't anticipating going into a lava tunnel. Uh, and when we got on there and we turned on our lights, and you could see things and, and walk down the tunnel. And then we turned them off just to see what it was like. And I'd never been in any place so dark in my life. And suddenly fear struck into my heart. What if my phone dies? We'll never get out of here. <laughs> Thankfully, we turned that light on and headed back to the, <laughs> to the stairs. But that light in the midst of dark changed everything. It gave direction. It gave me purpose. It gave me peace. It gave me confidence. And when the Bible says God is light in our dark world with all of the confusing messages that we hear and all the temptations that we are pushed towards, knowing God has the light is what we 
must want. For it is life for us. God also is love. And because of his love that he fills up in us through the love displayed to us in Jesus Christ by his life, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection, we are filled up with a love that we must want. There is no end to it. There is nothing more powerful than his love. And as we submit to his love and make his love and knowing him what we want, we will be filled with his love to love others. So our first target is surrender, which is loving God, wanting God. Not just some things we do, but wanting God. Second target is connect. This is in this little second part of the Matthew passage where the second is like it in verse 39. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is a desire, a biblical teaching that we are to love other people with the very love that God has poured out in our lives. The church is to exemplify the depth of this love relationship. Jesus even said that as we love one another, the world will take notice and, and recognize and see that Jesus is who he said he came to be. Men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. John thirteen thirty five. I wonder if we really enter into this kind of relationship. How close are we as people in the church? fellow believers. It's one of the things we've been trying to build in our community groups, real friendships, but it's still very challenging. It's something that we still have a long way to go on. One way to determine the closeness that I found in a, in a small group book, which I thought was an interesting idea, is to use the refrigerator test. According to Will Miller and Glenn Sparks, this test can help you determine the quality of your relationship with other believers. Here's how it works. Imagine I come to your house for the first time. I've never met you before. We sit down at the kitchen table and we're kind of sharing details about our lives, getting acquainted while we're catching up on news about each other. I get up and open your refrigerator and grab sandwich fixings and make myself a sandwich. Now, what's your reaction? <laughs> How dare he? <laughs> what is he doing? Or change the situation. Think about it as if I was your brother or you were my sister. And we hadn't seen each other for a long time. I come to your house. We're catching up on news. And then I go to the refrigerator and start making myself a sandwich. There is a sense in which you're not upset with that. You're happy about that. That I can feel that comfortable in your home. It's the refrigerator test. 
And I'm afraid that many times in our relationships, in our churches with one another, that our relationships are as deep as our neighbors, the people in our society. The relationships that we share are mirrored in our society. And so the question comes to us, how can we develop community in a way that really does portray what Jesus expected? When we love one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. I think we have kind of shifted to what is culturally accepted. I can't help but think about, and, and, and not in a, in a way that, I mean, it's a convicting story when Jesus talks about lending money to those who ask. And uh, I just kind of threw this in, sorry, and I don't have the scripture reference. But Jesus says, when you give money to someone who's going to pay you back, or you give money to some friend of yours, what thank is that? Doesn't the world do the same thing? If we're going to be radical in our care and our love for one another, we would see somebody in need and we'd give money with no expectation of return. We would see needs and we would step in to give of our money, our hearts, our lives and care for them in a way that would be radically different than the world. That's what Jesus was saying. And as I think about relationships in the church and even this simple refrigerator test, I wonder, is our relationships and our, our time together as in, a, in a group, a community together, is it shaped more by the world and the expectations of the world or by Christ and how we're to love one another? That is beyond the perception of the world. And when they see believers loving each other, they're saying, wow, they are disciples of Jesus. In the church, we understand we're called to close relationships, relationship based, based on grace and forgiveness, but too many times we don't really have relationships with each other that are as, any deeper than those relationships we encounter in the society around us. We are just like other people around us. Bad feelings linger, hurts are kept hidden Forgiveness of sin is never dealt with, and therefore the church as a whole suffers. As we think about this target, the mark of the church of Jesus, that we be a community together, we have a long way to go. And not in the way of more obligations and more responsibilities, but in the way of the fountain of God's love filling our hearts to the degree that our relationships are transformed by the abundance of His love. That's where we need to be going. That's what connect means. Lastly, third target is proclaim. Kind of was jumping around. There's a lot of passages in the Bible that talk about our need to be sharing the gospel, meeting people, loving people, caring for people, sharing the good news of Jesus. And of course, the, the classic is Matthew 28, 
and I'm having a hard time getting there. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. The third target of our church is to be a church that proclaims the good news of the gospel. And as I said last week, I want to remind you one more time this week, I've encountered a little acrostic from a book that y'all should read called You Found Me. In that book, he's talking about rethinking our use of uh, approach to evangelism. He says the acrostic bless is what we should be thinking about. B is for begin with prayer. Oh, that we as a people, as a church, would have, as someone in our church has constantly talked about, having a list of people who's on our heart for heaven, a list of people that we care about, that we deeply love, and that we're bringing them before the throne of God faithfully, consistently, praying for blessing and illumination and understanding of the gospel. Begin with prayer. L, listen. Listen to people's stories with interest. Listen to what people say. Love people. Hear them. And E is eat with them. Take them out, spend some time, commit some time in fellowship time and relationship time and share a meal with them. And then S, serve them in tangible ways. Show them you care for them, you love them. And the last S is share your story of life with Jesus. How he's made a difference for you. How he's filled your life with hope. Never neglect to let the light and truth of the gospel shine through in your life this year. God can use even us as people who sometimes might be misunderstood, might be misread. We can, in that context, consistently love nevertheless. Let us see these targets of surrender, connect, proclaim as important as a charge for us as a church as a result of our wanting God with all of our heart. May He bless us this year. Let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful to you for this season that we have just enjoyed. The birth of Jesus, celebration of Christmas time and family time and eating together and sharing time together and time off work. Lord, these are all great blessings and we thank you for those. We thank you for the years that you've given us. We thank you for the direction that we receive from Jesus. 
Lord, we know it's because of him that we have hope, that we have life and light in this world. Lord, I pray that you would remove from our hearts and our desires and our longings anything that comes up short from pursuing you with our whole heart. And Lord, may you shape us and draw us and set us on a path of walking with you this year. That is growing and maturing and vibrant because that's what you are. And we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together. Thank you.